Welcome to Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is David Tupin. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let me tell you a little bit about David. He is a top millennial real estate investor, speaker, and entrepreneur. David is the co-founder of Obsidian Capital, an Austin, Texas-based real estate investment firm. David started investing at the age of 20 in Michigan, where he bought his first property in college, a 12-unit apartment complex. Prior to graduating from finance degree, David had already acquired seven million in multifamily real estate holdings. By the age of 24 year old, David had built the real estate company as a key principal with over 50 million in real estate holdings and has raised north of 10 million in capital. He is also the creator of the best-selling multifamily deal analyzing software, obsidiancapitalco.com deal analyzer. Welcome! Wow! What an impressive resume! <laughs> How did you buy a 12-unit building before finish college? That's amazing! <laughs> tell me a little yeah. bit about yourself and how did you get into real estate? Yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, so, I guess real estate was something I always wanted to get into. And I always uh, had been somewhat of an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 13 as a landscaping business. And uh, I just, as I got into college and I did some internships in like consulting, finance, investment banking, I just realized that the corporate route wasn't for me. I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure you probably my read a lot of. <laughs> your first book, exactly. Normally that's the first book that people read when they get into real estate. And uh, I just caught the bug and I was totally, uh, you know, tunnel vision at that point. Real estate is what I, what I was going to do. I loved it. I was all about it. So um, I, I actually got out of some of those internships. I, I had a couple job offers. I turned them all down and I just cornered myself and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into real estate and I'm going to be successful. No matter what it takes, I'm going to be successful. So uh, I started doing some single family stuff, wholesaled a couple deals. And then pretty quickly after that, within about five or six months, I, I started going towards just multifamily. And I was underwriting deals, talking to brokers, um, just learning the, the lingo and the numbers of, and touring deals and stuff. So I put an offer in on a 12 unit. It, uh, it got accepted. And I was so surprised. And at that point, I was like, holy crap, what do I do? I don't have any money to buy this. I'm a broke college student. So <laughs> from there, I kind of just had to figure it out. And, and, and I, I learned and I researched and figured out what syndication was. Uh, this is in 2016, before it was like a, big know, a buzzword. Yeah, before it was a big deal and everyone wanted to do it. So I, I, I figured it out and I, I talked to a couple of people that had done it before and, and just started hitting the ground running raising some capital and i only had to raise about one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, hundred and eighty thousand for that deal so it wasn't a ton but it was a good learning experience and and ended up closing on it and it did well 
Wow, amazing. I mean, when I wanted to buy real estate, I bought a duplex. <laughs> and I thought it was risky. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I think, I think because of, I was so young, you know, I was 20 years old at the time I was young. I, I was, I think naive to the risks. So I just, because of that, I had no fear and I just went for it. So it, it ended up working out. I'm sure it, it could have, it could have gone the other way, but I did my research and, and I, I knew the numbers. And I think that's what made me feel comfortable doing it, knowing the numbers. Right, absolutely. And, but how did you get to that point? What were, were you in? How did you learn how to do the the numbers? Because you were really young then. Yeah, yeah. So I'd done a couple. My junior year in college, I was not, you know nineteen. I had done a couple of internships. One was in um, a big four accounting firm. Uh, I did consulting with them, and I did an investment banking one. When, when I was doing the investment banking, there was a partner at the firm that owned some apartment building he owned like uh, 40 or 50 units so i had brought up to him uh, because i networked i just networked like crazy that that's that's my thing i love talking to people so i met with him and uh, knew he owned apartments and so i told him that it was one of my goals one day to buy apartment buildings so i actually put a little spreadsheet together um and i was running numbers on a 24 unit deal and like a really not a good area just as an exercise to see, you know, if I was kind of close. And, and so I brought the numbers to him. He spent a couple hours with me actually and walked me through the numbers on it, the numbers on his properties and, and kind of taught me a little bit as a mentor, um, you know, how the numbers in the multifamily work. And, and um, you know, it's, it's funny because now I do these things at a scale, probably far beyond the properties that he buys, but he was way above me at the time and, and just taught me. So I reached out to people that were doing what I wanted to do and, and learned from them. Amazing. That's, you know, what people need to do, reach out. And I only learned this in the past year and it has changed yeah. my life tremendously. So if you are... Do not be afraid to ask. Exactly. If you're listening, uh, people are not going to notice that you are awesome. You got to go and ask and you got to, you know, put yourself out there. Absolutely. The deal. Afraid to ask. Exactly. If you're listening, uh, people are not going to notice that you are awesome. You got to go and ask and you got to, you know, put yourself out there. Absolutely. All right. So what deal are we going to be talking about today? So we can talk about um, the 96 unit deal that I bought. 96, uh, 96 my, units. Where is it located? Yeah. So it's located in a city called Southfield, Michigan. In Michigan. Uh, it's about, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes north of Detroit. So Southeast Michigan. Um, it's a B area. And uh, I bought this one. This is the one I closed my senior year of college. Oh, wow. 96 units in senior year. Amazing. All right. So how did you find this deal? So I was sending out mailers, actually. Um, I sent out just on a professional letter, had very simple, I see you own this property here at ABC address. Uh, and I, you know, I'm interested in making you an offer. If you, if you're interested in selling, give me a call. Here's my number. And this guy, uh, the owner who owned, uh, actually over a billion dollars in real estate. He was a huge player. He is a multi hundred millionaire. And 
he uh, had accumulated a portfolio. He was 71. He started when he was kind of around my age, actually, in his 20s. And he had a, a portfolio of like 4,000 apartments that he owned by himself, free and clear. So this guy just owned a ton of real estate. Um, and and he gave me a call. He was at his place. He, he lived in Michigan. He was at his place in, in Miami at the time. He called me and he said, you know, I didn't really know who the guy was at first, but he called me and he's like, ah, I'd be interested in selling this property. It's my, it's his oldest and smallest property. It was like a, a $4 million property. And um, so he, he kind of gave me a shot and we talked for a bit. Uh, I toured the deal. Uh, he didn't give me any financials, zero financials. He told me like, this is what I pay in taxes. This is what I pay insurance. I think it was because he ran a lot of personal stuff through it. Uh, and he had his nephew uh, managing it. Just, you know, just kind of give him something to do. And it was not doing a good job of managing it. So the numbers were bad on it, but uh, so he, so he wouldn't give me financials. And I had to really come up with all of my own assumptions on the financials on my own. So I did some digging. You can find, you know, some utilities and some stuff online. I can find the taxes easily online. They got the insurance quote is stuff like that. And then the rest of it, I just kind of made assumptions for on what my expenses would be. And um, he, he gave me a rent roll. So I had a rent roll at least to see what the rents were. And so uh, I think I offered him, 3.9 million at first he wanted like 4.8 and we ended up getting him down and settling at 4.2 million um which was far below market value he could have gotten he probably could have gotten easily 4.6 4.7 if you put it on the market but um uh, but he, we built a good relationship and i think yeah after i bought it and closed on it i talked to him and you know, i said why did you sell it to me for this price and he said, you know, I didn't need the extra couple hundred thousand dollars. I just liked you. And, uh, you know, you remind me of myself when I was your age. Um, so that was kind of his explanation. And that's, that's, that's kind of the story how we negotiated that deal. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. So, so how did you negotiate? He wanted 4.8 and you ended up paying 3.9. How did you, what were your um, negotiating points with him? Uh, well, so we paid, we paid 4.2. I started kind of at 3.9. Um, main points were that there were a couple of roofs that needed to be replaced. Uh, the parking lot was in pretty bad shape. Um, you know, and a lot of other miscellaneous little deferred maintenance items that he hadn't taken care of. But overall, it was a really clean property. Uh, you know, the plumbing was great. Electrical was good. Electrical panels were in good shape. Uh, it was built in 79, so it wasn't that old. Um, and it, it was, you know, a half brick, half, uh, old wood siding, um, for, for the siding. And so we had to replace that siding with new vinyl siding. So there's, you know, a lot of deferred maintenance we had to take care of to update it. But, um, overall it was clean and we just, we just kind of stuck to our guns and said, Hey, this is the number that makes sense for us. Um, and, and, you know, this is the market was kind of hot at that point, but it was not nearly where it's at today. So we bought it for I think forty three thousand a unit, uh, or I mean, what's what's four point two million divided by ninety six? Uh, that's yeah, forty three, almost forty four thousand a unit. Um, as is, if he held that property another two years, he probably could have sold it for sixty thousand a unit. 
wow. without doing anything to it. So, so we got a really good deal on that. What were the rents um, then when you bought it? <clears throat> yeah, the rents, it was half one bedrooms, half two bedrooms, uh, 800 square feet for the ones, 1,000 square feet for the twos. And average rents were about 725 maybe. Wow. So, so he's getting 650 for the ones and 750 for the twos. Um, I got in there without renovating units. We were able to get the one bedrooms up to almost 800, so 150 dollars without doing anything. And the two bedrooms I got from 750 up to 900 without doing anything. Um, renovated, we got the one bedrooms up to 900 and the two bedrooms up to 11. I got I got one two bedroom for 1200. So we were getting almost three four hundred dollar red bumps. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Okay, so now you had uh, the guy wanted to sell it to you. How did you finance it? How did you fund it? So we got a, um, a Freddie Mac small balance loan, which are fairly easy to get. Not too complicated a process, but it's an agency loan. We got 80% loan to value on the 4.2. So I think the loan is 3.36 million. Uh, interest rate was about 4.6%, um, 30 year amortization. Uh, we got three years interest only on a 10 year term. So we got a pretty, pretty solid loan. And so uh, did you have experience with Freddie Mac at this point? Because your, the previous unit, the previous building was 1 million, right? The 12 unit? Was that? Uh, a yeah, the previous ones that I did with 12 units. No, so the 12 units I did a local bank. And so this was my first uh, agency loan, first Freddie Mac loan. So I had no experience. I didn't even know they existed until I had the property under contract and I was looking up financing options. I didn't even know what an agency loan was, which is crazy, you know, thinking back. So um, I, I found a guy, I, I just looked up online, I was researching loans and I found it. And I found a website uh, where they you know, did these loans and a guy from Florida ended up getting the, the loan. I, I could, there's like so many people locally that I'm now friends with that I could have given him to, but uh, I just found this guy online and he did it. So um, Freddie Maxwell balance loan. And then the rest of the capital stack was, uh, was equity that I raised 1.7 million. So we're all in about 5 million on the deal. So you raised 1.7 million. Mm -hmm. And this was your, only your second deal, right? Did you, Third deal. deal? So did you have, you already had experience raising money? Barely. I raised, I had raised $400,000 up to this point. So not even 300, 360,000 or so something. So how was that so, transition to going from doing these small amounts to now needing 1.7 million? That was the hardest thing to date in my experience as an entrepreneur that I've ever had to do was raising that money. I was 21 years old, turning 22. Um, I had done two 12 units prior, so I'd only bought 24 units uh, and only raised like $360,000. So raising 1.7 was not easy. I would get commitments from people and then they would pull out. I would get, I had a guy who said, I'll put $500,000 in and then he backs out of the deal. Um, I would, uh, I had to extend the due diligence period twice, which the owner was thankfully willing to do before I had a hundred thousand dollars become non-refundable. 
at the end of due diligence. I had to extend it twice, 30 days. So I can, I, I just told him, I was like, look, dude, I had somebody pull out. I need to raise a little bit more money. Can you give me some more time? And luckily because I was direct to seller and had that relationship, he worked with me right. and it was a small deal as far as is, you know, his projects normally go. So he was, he was pretty flexible with me, which was just thankfully, you know, it was good. Um, so it took me, it took me 90 days uh, to raise enough to close, just to close on the deal, which is like a million bucks I needed to close. The rest of it I can, was renovations I can keep raising after. So by the time we closed, there was about a five-month process for, for me to close that deal, which now I could close in 45 days, probably no problem. But, uh, you know, it was a learning experience. I, I learned how not to raise money, that's for sure. <laughs> The, the people that invested with you, the first two deals, did they invest again with you? Were they part of this third Some deal? Of them. Yeah, I had maybe seven investors in the first couple of deals or eight. Uh, and a, a couple of them did, yeah, that, that had the ability to. So what did you learn? You said that you learned what not to do. What, what should people do <laughs> when raising money? Oh, man. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I know at, one, at some point I made a list of like 15 different things that you know, I shouldn't do. So the first thing I did wrong was I created a Dropbox folder uh, to send to investors with like some pictures of the property. I put the whole pro forma Excel uh, deal and the financial model Too in much there. Info. Um, what's Too that? much info. Too much info. And it wasn't laid out right. So I, I, I put all the stuff in the Dropbox folder. I sent to him. I was like, hey, you know, it's a great deal, blah, blah. All you need to do is I, I should have just given them a quick summary and said, hey, look, I've got a 96 unit. I'm buying it for 43000 a door. I'm going to get the NOI up to here, and it's going to be worth, you know, six, six million bucks, and we're going to sell it and make all our money. Um, and, and put that into an, uh, what we do nowadays is an OM or an offering memorandum that uh, it's just a PDF, you know, Ours are maybe about 15 pages now, but they've got our, our track record, our bios, details in the deal, the financials and stuff. But it's laid out really nice to the point where they can easily figure out what's going on. And I did not make it easy for them. So I had so many people that were just like, yeah, I'm not interested because literally just because they didn't want to go through the, the, the draw boxes, too much work. So um, I figured out you need to make it not that our investors aren't very smart. They're all smart people. Obviously, they have a lot of money. But you got to make it dummy proof because these people, they don't want to take a lot of time to look through it. And they want to make a decision quickly on whether it looks like a good deal or not. So tip number one, how to raise money. Put a nice PDF together, a couple pager with some high-level financial information. What are the returns going to be? They just want to know what does the property look like? Throw a picture in there. A description of what you're going to do that makes sense that sounds like it makes sense and then uh how much money what, what are my returns going to be on what my investment is and if they see those three things and they seem to make sense most investors do not actually dive in much further than that and and, and look deeper they'll make a decision based on that so keep it simple i think is the, the point amazing amazing expert tips All right, so now we're gonna talk about the three expert tips and uh, you just gave us amazing tips, but these are gonna be about how to be a successful millennial. Awesome. Yeah, so how to be a successful millennial, 
uh, I think I think the earlier first step is just the earlier you can start, um, the better. And and if you're considering it, if you're between the ages of 18 and 25 or 18 and 28, just start in some way. Go start networking with people. Uh, uh, start reading some books, listening to podcasts, and hyper educate yourself. Part of the reason I was able to become so successful so quickly was I took it upon myself to be, want to become an expert in this, and I learned every aspect of the business. And you know, I still haven't mastered it. I learn new stuff every day, but I became very familiar with a lot of the common trends and terms and whatnot very quickly. And and if you can talk the talk, people will take you seriously. So. Um, Start when you're starting young, just just dive in all in and, and network like crazy. That's tip number one. Uh, tip number two, what I've learned is people that are uh, uh, older than older than you and more successful uh, are very open to helping and giving back to younger people. A lot of times they see themselves in you. Uh, just like the seller of that 96 unit. He, he, I, he saw my hustle and my drive and ambition. And he was like, that seems like me when I was his age. I'm going to throw this kid a bone. And he did. And I've had, I have countless mentors. My business partner right now is twice my age, extremely experienced. He's owned hundreds of millions of dollars in multifamily. And he partnered with me because he saw my ambition and, and the fact that I wanted to grow and He's a, a, not only a business partner, but a, one of my greatest mentors, um, Glenn Gonzalez. And so people that are more successful than you and older are very willing to help and give back to younger people I've learned. So don't be afraid to ask just because somebody is very successful. Go ask for uh, questions or help or uh, sit down. And, and if they say no, that's okay. Just try them again the next month. So that's, that's tip number two. Um, tip number three is as a millennial, do not get into debt. I live a debt free lifestyle. Uh, you know, cars, I, I rent, I rent my house. I don't, I haven't bought a house cause I don't want, you know, a mortgage until I can buy a house with cash. I'm not doing it. Uh, stay out of debt. I, I know a lot of people come out with student loans that's okay. That's very common. Um, but, but don't, don't live above your means and beyond your means live far below your means. I lived in my parents' house until I had bought 120 apartments. I had a $7 million portfolio and I still lived in my parents' house because I want to keep my expenses low. And so, um, you know, even to this day uh, with, with all the, the properties that I have bought, purchased, I, I still live a very, try to live a very, um, uh, humble lifestyle. And, and below my means because it, it's going to allow me to grow and avoid the huge ups and downs swings that a lot of people have because, listen, starting a business is not easy. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. There's ups and downs. And until you have a lot of, uh, you know, cash in the bank and your business is thriving, um, you know, you just, you, you want to be careful. So live below your means, tip number three. Well, you, you, you said something so true. I, I, there was this uh, guy in my office, he was young, probably a millennial. And, you know, we were talking and he was telling me how he had all this debt and it was like in the thousands of dollars. And I was like, but why? Like, why do you have so much debt? But, you know, he's like, oh, because of college. 
But I'm like, I went to college too and I had zero debt. I, you know, I worked and paid for it. I drove a crappy car. I lived in a small apartment, not in the best area. And, you know, I worked my butt off. So he's, but in the meantime, this guy, he's only like 20 something and he's driving this brand new truck, living in this beautiful community and eating out all the time. So, you know, and they are blaming it on the student debt, but it's because they are living a lifestyle that they shouldn't. (laughs) They can't afford. Yeah, they're living a lifestyle that they can't afford. Yeah, it's not student debt. I mean, you, you have you have a choice to, you know, go to college. You can go to a community college. You don't have to go. I, I, I didn't have to go to school for what I'm doing. I have never had someone, and I sit down with multi-multi-millionaires on a daily basis, people that own hundreds of millions of dollars of property, other people I work with. And, and they never ask where I went to school. They don't care what my degree is. They know that I'm smart and I understand the business and I'm capable of buying these large properties. And I didn't learn any of that in college. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm not saying don't go to school. I think it's a good learning experience and a good experience for somebody that's in, you know, 18, 19. That's, you know, you get to learn a lot of uh, uh, social skills and you get to uh, begin really networking. And, 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 you know, you might learn some things in the classroom. But really, I, I personally, there, there's not a single thing I learned in the classroom that I've carried over to my business. It's all been, I, I taught myself. I learned on the job or I learned from mentors. So um, for what it's worth, you know, yeah. you don't need a degree to be successful in real estate. Totally, totally. And you don't need to get into debt to go to college. Like also they go the, they, out, the they go the out of state route when they can stay home and go to the community college instead of spending so much totally. more money going out of state. That's like really and live with your parents and live at home if they let you. I mean, almost most people they will, right? I mean, some I get some scenarios it's not always that easy, but um, you know, I I lived at school in my fraternity house. And I was around a lot of people and I lived that lifestyle where I was partying all the time and just having fun and, and all my friends did that. And, and I love them to death, but I moved home and got away from that because I was not going to be successful being around those people. So I got, I got away from that. And I, it was, it sucked, but I moved back home. I stopped hanging out with those people for a while and uh, I put my head down and focused because success was not going to just come to me. I was going to have to, I was going to have to take it. I was going to have to earn it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the amazing advice that you have given us today. And uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, best way to find me is on Instagram. I I replied fairly quick. uh, At Real Estate Jedi, or search David Tupin. uh, Or you can look up my website, obsidiancapitalco.com. Uh, obsidian spelled o-b-s-i-d-i-a-m awesome thank you and also you have an amazing calculator so if you don't know how to you know do the numbers you can go to his website and get his calculator um and uh thank you so much and thank you guys for watching bye yeah thank you this was Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.